this is this is the one now. All right, so we're gonna leave this bit in. All right, this this one we have to leave. <laughs> we, in. We I don't. Have, I'm not allowing you to press the stop button. We, we, we had a few uh, full starts. Just, oh, well, uh, you just know. Hello and welcome to what's our seat number with me, Johnny Gross. <laughs> <laughs> but you've said and like two times consecutively, said, exactly, and then this and time, I, last time I cut you across you, that was my fault. But like now. You have a... There's an expectation for you to say it now. But you thought you were going to say it. No, I didn't. I stayed quiet. You <laughs> screwed this one up. Well, I screwed this one up. Okay. Start well, again. I'll tell you what. Let's, let's plan this now in the podcast instead of doing it before like we should have done, right? Mm-hmm. In the intro, right, you're going to say, welcome to What's Our Seat number with me, Johnny Gross, and... And I will say, and Simon Gross. Or do you want to say, with me, Johnny Gross, and let me say, and me, Simon Gross? What do you prefer? What do you think sounds I, I, better? I think you should say the and. I think it was a mistake. So yeah. I'm glad. It takes a big man to know when he's wrong. Exactly. And uh, unfortunately, you're huge. Unfortunately, uh, Barbara Broccoli, Michael G. Wilson, and Kerry Fukunaga will not admit that they've made a mistake. Oh my God, shots fucking fired. We what? haven't even done the intro. <laughs> okay, then. All right. Right, then. start so, the intro on three. One, two, three. What's our seat number? Hello and welcome to What's Our Seat Number with me, Johnny Gross. And me, Simon Gross. <laughs> well, I'm glad we got through that. <laughs> Today we are going to be uh, talking about No Time to Die. This is a bumper bond special. I feel like it should be stated right off the bat, if you haven't seen the movie, spoilers abound. This is going to be very spoiler heavy for all of the Daniel Craig movies. If you haven't seen them, first of all, where have you been? Uh, and secondly, look away if you haven't seen No Time Today. Or if you like spoilers, um, keep listening. Who, who does that? You did it to yourself with I the gun did. barrel. With the gun barrel. I did it with the gun barrel because I didn't want to... No, don't lie, because you can't help yourself. Because I can't help myself, but also uh, the Craig gun barrels have been a mixed bag, and mm-hmm. I didn't want to be thinking about the gun barrel into the opening sequence. But then when you watched the gun barrel, you looked over at me, and you were thinking about it. You made a face at me, so you were obviously well, no, because I busy was, with it. I was trying to gauge what you thought of the gun barrel. I thought it was shit. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. Shots fired, uh, quite literally, um, as we go into the first uh, subject of the day, which is... Wait, the wait, wait. Barrel. Before we go into the gun barrel. Yes. Can you explain, because I feel like there needs to be a frame of reference, what is your relationship to this franchise? My relationship to this series, um, my, our mother has told me, (laughs) (laughs) what? Nothing, go on. We are brothers, in case you didn't listen to the last uh, episode. The only other episode, actually, because uh, it's taken us another two and a half months to get here. Um, so uh, our mother has told me um, that she took me to see The Living Daylights must have been around 1987 or 88 mm-hmm. um, so I would have been five or six Living Daylights yeah I remember um, because I remember seeing uh, Living That Die on TV um, and then subsequently a bunch of other Bond movies and I remember um, flashbacks that it wasn't uh, Roger Moore or Sean Connery right um, so I'm, I must have remembered it somehow. Right. Um, so, yeah. So, that that would be the start of it. I'm not sure if that made an impression on me or not. But, um, but yeah. I, I, you know, Live and Let Die was definitely a lot of uh, indelible images there. And uh, my dad was a huge Bond fan. Our dad. He had all the books. And I used to sneak down and unlock the, uh, the cabinet and, you know, check out the covers, even though I wasn't allowed to. So, what would you say was... 
um, your reaction when you saw Timothy Dalton for the first time in the cinema, Living Daylights, the gun barrel comes up. Do you remember any of that? Do you remember no, your... No, nothing? Not at all. I remember... Um, Couldn't have made that much of an impression there. Well, that's the thing. I think it was like subliminal, but I remember um, seeing the Living Daylights after I'd already seen a bunch of the other Bond movies mm-hmm. uh, when it premiered on LWT and it was uh, followed by Dame Edna's Neighborhood Watch. <laughs> that's a very strong memory there. Wow. Um, I remember seeing it and being um, enraptured because it wasn't Sean Connery or Roger Moore and because it was kind of new and it's like, you know, the the John Barry score has a little bit of uh, electronics to it, a little bit of a beat, mm-hmm. um, which, I, uh, which I thought was cool. Um, and he was very spry and athletic, which yeah. was, uh, which was interesting. Um, and that was when I was a kid. And when I grew up a little bit, it was more because he was, uh, he had the seriousness. He had yeah. the, uh, the, the pathos and, you know, it actually, he actually felt it when, uh, you know, when his colleague, uh, gets blown up in the, you know, in the cafe. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and his reaction is just, you know, that reaction of anger. Ferocity and he bursts the, burst the balloon with his hands and he, yeah. Um, which is a which is a big um, departure, really, because uh, Sean Connery and and Roger Moore didn't really emote as much. Well, I mean, if you count moving an eyebrow up. Well, that's the thing, actually. Roger Moore um, would uh, would be the first to admit that uh, most of the acting he did was with his eyebrow. Yeah. Um, but uh, but you know he he had the he had the personality, he had the charisma, and he was fun. But he was not in any way, shape, or form the Fleming Bond. He actually said that uh, he found it hilarious that. Bond used to walk into a place and introduce himself. He's a spy. He works in yeah. secret. And, you know, he used to say, my name is Bond, James Bond, you know, and like, uh, and everybody would be like, ah, Mr. Bond, welcome back. How was your- uh, so it's really interesting that you say that because I, I don't want to just talk about like all the other Bond movies and stuff because it's very tempting. Right. Um, but like that moment in Casino Royale where he says, he walks into the hotel and he's been told what his cover name is. The whole car ride over, he's being told, your name is Mr. Beach and I'm Mrs. Beach or whatever, whatever. And then he goes, my name's, my name's James Bond. You'll see the reservation under Beach. Like, <laughs> right. it's it's a recklessness. It's not it's not like, hello, my name is Bond. He's like, he's like showing off for her and, you know, sort of showing her he doesn't care about all that stuff. He just wants to get the job done. He's like very no nonsense. And, you know, I think it's, it's like showing off. Right. Anyway, pointlessness. Um, well, my... one more thing though, because uh, because this will actually tie into um, No Time to Die Another yeah. Day, um, is that uh, that's why I reject outright the code name theory. Aside from the fact that it's uh, brought forth, if anybody doesn't know, the code name theory was uh, brought up by I think a, um, a casual fan on Reddit. I, I don't know exactly who or how to trace it all the way back. It's like the John Travolta meme. <laughs> um, like uh, it's one and of those things down just, the rabbit hole we go <laughs> right it just gets lost in the ether but um but yeah the uh, the codename theory is that every time an actor changes it's a new character that um the james bond name is passed down to as a code that name. it's a moniker right and i find that ridiculous for several reasons first of all because the filmmakers didn't intend that in any way shape or form it was much simpler than that they needed to change actor and they just brought the same actor in with the uh, a new actor in with the same cast and the same uh, you know MI six sets and everything and uh, and just continued on as if nothing had happened. Yeah. Um, uh, but there are also like uh, character attributes and traits and and things like that that uh, you know that always uh, that always serve as like a through line. Obviously references to Tracy and Honor Majesty's Secret Service and uh, 
and things like that. Uh, and aside from that, he always, he, you know, in, in a lot of the previous Bond movies, he has a fake name that he uses when he wants to get into the Smythe. villain's party. Yeah, James Syndrome Smythe. Um, you know, why would he have to do that if James Bond is a code name? And right. why would he need the number 007 if James Bond is a code name? 007 is the code. Yeah. Um, and, and it just, uh, the, you know, the, the fact that in the Craig reboot, which is, uh, you know, a lot of people... Um, uh, who were talking about this on on social media started with the Craig reboot. That's where they grew up, you mm-hmm. know. And I was already a spry twenty uh, one year old or something when like that came out. Twenty three year old um, when that came out. So um, so yeah, I mean, I, I find that hilarious that there's a there's an actual reference, you know, to the fact that he's not gonna he's gonna dispense with his cover name and that Vespa's pissed off with him about it. Um, but that's the that is the joke. That was what Roger Moore was going on about. Is yeah. that like you can't take this guy seriously if he's uh, you know if he's going to go around being a spy and uh, telling everyone his name. But anyway, um, I digress. To to just finish off the the conversation about context. Yeah. Um, for me, I have always lived James Bond through you, right? Because oh, that's why it feels crowded in here. My <laughs> see, I made a joke in one of the rejected openings where i said johnny i'm wet and yeah. he and he looked at me like i'm disgusting and well, then he says shit like that yes but that's... because what i just said was not an unheard of phrase like it it, it it just you didn't need to make that dirty but now now this whole podcast been derailed now or what are you gonna do you go press stop now <laughs> no <laughs> get I, away I wanna, from me. i want to just bring up the uh that michelin web look uh sketch <laughs> okay because <laughs> Would you like to grasp my rod is innuendo. Would you like to wank off my cock is not. (laughs) Mine was in the great tradition of Roger Moore. Yours was in the great tradition of Austin Powers. Right, yeah, sure. Um, (laughs) Yeah, another great Mitchell and Webb sketch, which is Bond-related, is where Mitchell is um, Blofeld's long-haired blonde character, the villain. Right. And he says... Yeah, they're like doing a gambling thing, and it's mostly instead of playing cards, it's guessing the weight of a cake, right? right? <laughs> and it's like you're. The, they're saying to the Bond character, "You're the best guesser of the weights of cake in the business," right? <laughs> and then they do this whole thing, and it's an absolute tie. And he says to him, "So, Mister Suave, would you like to play a game of whack the rat?" And Mister Suave goes, "Do you mean wanking?" <laughs> Okay, right. So I have in... to apologize to any of our listeners who think we're immature. We are. <laughs> don't don't even apologize because I think it's quite clear from the opening that we couldn't get right and we left it in probably at this point. Oy vey. <laughs> you, you know, it's it's bad. Okay, so listen. Context-wise, I've always lived through vicariously through you, but like, you 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 basically said to me, "This is amazing and you will like this too." And I was like, oh, I do like this. And I became How obsessed. Do I, I don't remember. That it was very early. Because you had the Bond posters on your wall in your bedroom. Right. And we used to play on the Sega Master System uh, console in your bedroom. Right. And I used to stare at Pierce Brosnan and, you know, he'd stare back at me. You had the Tomorrow's Never Di- Tomorrow Never Dies I had poster. the little postcards. You had the postcards. but bed. you No, but yeah. on the wall you had the Tomorrow Never Dies poster. Right. Um... Not Goldeneye, I don't think. You must. You, I think you did as well. Like it was all Piers Brosnan on that wall. I think. Yeah. It was the one underneath the TV. Um, well, because and- at the time, I don't think. Uh, I don't think we had Amazon, and you know, obviously, I was a kid, so I wasn't making money. So I don't think it was as uh, as easy to get a hold of, you know, things that weren't as current. Yeah. 
you know, so at the time it was all Pierce Brosnan and I just wanted as much merchandise of as I could. Of course you did. I remember I went to central London and I bought a replica uh, P99. No, no, no. I was going to talk about that. So, okay. <laughs> so uh, one of the forbidden things in our house uh, growing up was that we're not allowed toy guns. Yeah. And Johnny it was the rebel <laughs> and he just had a draw that was guntopia. It was like all the guns and it was like ones that you could, you know, cock... And ones that you can, you know, they, they had like a, a fake hammer that you could pull back. You had like a, a cap gun. You had all sorts. Yeah. And he brings home the P99. Yeah. And so it, it was plastic. Was, but it, but it, was, it was heavy. It was heavy and it, and was it had thick the and it 007 had the... like insignia yeah. on it. And it was like, and you could pull out, I think you could pull out the base or something. Or no, 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 no you, you could open, you open the top. Yeah, because it was right? a cap gun. Because it was yeah. a cap gun. Yeah. And I used to sneak into your bedroom when you weren't there and I used to play with the guns and pretend I was James Bond. And I bet, I bet if you're being honest with me, you used to do the same thing as well. Well, Daniel Craig does it in, uh, in Layer Cake. In Layer Cake as well. I mean, well this one's that gave really me validation. <laughs> no, but like, here's the thing is that I used to sneak in there and pretend I was James Bond, but also you used to just, just, I'm trying to paint a picture for people to understand just how much you and I live and breathe. I drew uh, a gun barrel on a piece of paper <laughs> Yeah. and I cut out the middle um and uh put it on the camera had the blood coming down as well like i cut out the wavy bits of the blood or whatever and we put it in front of the camera out of the stills camera we used to take pictures of us i remember that yeah i remember also when i was a kid i asked you to draw a gun barrel for me right and you did shit at it no no you you drew the gun barrel but this is it that i'm a kid and i'm going can you draw me a gun barrel right right and then you, you little shit. I, so there's a movie called The Page Master. And mm. I was very scared of Mr. Hyde in that. Oh, you went, oh, and look who's in the middle of the gun barrel. And I'm thinking he's drawing James Bond. And he's drawn like a face of Mr. Hyde. And he goes, it's Mr. Hyde. And he like shoves it in my face. None of this is important. You should just understand that we lived and breathed this as kids. Right. Um, and you had I like remember... the guns. You used to put ketchup on your lip. And we'd like do <laughs> and like punch each other. And you were you were doing Timothy Dalton from License to Kill, where he yeah, has yeah. like the yeah, you yeah. know the blood dripping down his chin in that fight in the bar. Yeah. And you know like we, we you fake punching. You'd have like fake punching matches with me and with your friends and stuff. Yeah. Um, all sorts. I'm of, surprised we didn't get hurt more. To be honest, we did. We did. We used to we used to have Zorro fights with swords and stuff, and used to right. smack me on the hand, and then and then there'd be a crying thing and yeah, i go and then, like know, 10 minutes later we'd be doing it again it. so um <laughs> Which I I'm, think... I'm seeing with my own son actually <laughs> exactly. it happens quite a lot <laughs> yeah screaming screaming like the you know the the world is ending and then you know 10 back minutes later it. he's back at it again um so i think that that kind of describes the obsession but you've had you've had them on vhs i remember i used to like uh, do uh, vcr to vcr and i used to copy i copied goldeneye Onto a second VHS tape, editing out all the violence because you were right at the time. Because you wanted me to to experience them, yeah. but he would do his little editing things where he'd like start and stop it and start and stop it. I try. I had like an obsession with the with the BBFC because I thought it was like a badge of honor to watch a fifteen or an eighteen, right? Or to own it on V on VHS and have the big red logo on it. Um, and I uh, and I thought to myself like, how would the BBFC rate this PG? Right. Um, so I cut out all the shit that I thought was, uh, was like, you know, and it wasn't just James Bond. You used to do this for a lot with a lot of movies for me. Um, but, but, um, I, I think, I think it, I don't know. I'm not speaking for you, but I think it came from a need to, um, to share it with someone. Of course, of course. Um, not just because you were corrupting me or something like that. And not just, <laughs> not just, and and I I love James Bond, and I I was also fascinated uh, to learn that it was a, a book series as well. 
um because uh, you told me about that as well and i was like oh we and, have a, them and in a house. comic strip series as well in the daily express yeah um which you have don't you you have like I a book have of it two two of the omnibuses yeah right omnipi um um i don't know omnibi omnibu omnibu sounds good um and and uh and you got so you let's talk about what you own you owned all of them on vhs i can i can go through this and they and they all had the similar spines okay wait wait there was there was more before that there was the uh (laughs) so i had the um i had them recorded off vhs okay i think i recorded license to kill um a few times before they actually showed the uncut version yeah uh because uh because it was just cut to shit um, and I and I remember like I, the, my friend had this uh, James Bond uh, companion book, and it had stills of things that were not in the movie, like because ITV had cut them uh, out of it. So, um, so yeah, so I had them all on uh, on VHS recorded off TV. Then I bought, uh, I think I won like in a competition, or I sent off for something, and I and I got two. Oh really? Like, or three or four, or maybe something like that. It was Doctor No, uh, From Russia with Love, Goldfinger, Thunderball, and I think. Octopussy, like uh, there was, why would they bundle it, that? It was in? a bit random. It okay. was a bit random. There were like there was, so there were four or five of them, um, and then I uh, I conned my mum into into buying me the rest of them. Um, Soda. <laughs> Serves you right. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I don't even think we need to explain what happened. There. It's pretty obvious. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I had them all on VHS. Uh, again, I bought License to Kill several times and never got the uncut version. <laughs> I'm soaking wet. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm really like uncomfortable now. Would you like a heater? I don't think we have one. No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Um, okay, so um, so we, so I had that, and then I had them. I had I bought like a bunch of the Brosnan ones on DVD, and then I bought the tin on the the uh, the full set tin. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, and then there was the Ultimate Editions, which were remastered. So I bought them uh, in like the box sets that there were. There was the Connery box set, the Roger Moore box yeah. set. And then you had to buy, and the Brosnan box set. And then you had to buy Lazenby and Dalton separately. Uh, and then I got the uh, 50th anniversary, anniversary one. Uh, Blu-ray set, which uh, is one of the prides of my collection. And then yeah. the rest of them... Uh, you know the um, Skyfall, Spectre, and uh, No Time to Die are separate. Like I already pre-ordered yeah. No Time to Die. Obviously, uh, <laughs> it's out on December thirty first, apparently. And uh, even if I have major problems with it, how can I not? Right? Know? No, no, no. You have major problems with Octopussy as well, and with a lot of the other I ones. Actually, so like, recently, don't say, don't say it. I don't want to hear it. Just don't finish the sentence. Recently, I've kind of. Oh boy. Yeah. Um. So now that we've sort of talked a little bit about the history, the history and the obsession and, and the whatnot. Um, now you can talk about the gun barrel. I, I can't. The, the, your pop filter is now dripping. <laughs> I know it's dripping. It's, uh, it's, I, that's what I, I don't know if you noticed, but you're in the middle of talking about what box sets you have. And I noticed it and I went, it's <laughs> like, I didn't want to clean it in case it distracted you. Okay. So 20 minutes later, let's, uh, I think it's worthwhile to spend the time to talk okay, about just so that people understand exactly why we're having such an emotional reaction to this movie. Right, of course. Because I, the reason I wanted to do this is because um, I've been trying to explain it to people without spoiling for them right. what happens in the movie. And they just don't... They're like, why are you so upset about this? But you, you won't be able to do that. And I don't think you'll be able to do that if you're talking to somebody who hasn't uh, grown up with it as much mm. as we have. And the other thing is that if you went to it and you absolutely 
100% loved every second of it. That's yeah. it's fine. It's an opinion. Um, and I'm sure that there are that there are people who are Bond fans who consider themselves Bond fans that really enjoyed it. Um, but I listening to the uh, Bond and Friends podcast. Shout yeah. out to MI6 HQ there. Um, they are I, brilliant, by the way. They're if brilliant. This, they're much better than podcast, we are. <laughs> no, no. But if this podcast like sparked some kind of interest to hear other opinions, their dissection of No Time to Die is also fantastic. Yeah, because they had like a, a couple. They were in the minority, actually. They had a couple that enjoyed every second of it. Yeah. Um, but they um, had their problems with it as well. By they the had way. their problems mm-hmm. with it as well. Yeah. But um, but it, it's as if they were kind of picking thoughts out of my brain. Yeah. Mine they, too. Uh, I was listening to. Yeah. It, I was going yes. Yeah, and I also started watching the Calvin Dyson spoiler video that I've been waiting for ever since the movie yeah. came out, but I stopped after about uh, five minutes because I didn't want it to color my, uh, you know, this... This conversation. Yeah. Um, so we've shouted them out. Right. What was it? Why'd you go on that? Why'd I go on you that? Said... Because because people aren't going to understand why you're so upset right, about Right, right, right. So so um, there's, there's a lot of um, things here, but can I just ask you one more question about your connection to it sure my opinion of how you see bond may not actually be the truth so i want to just like to um clear it up right i think my opinion of what you think of the bond movies is that you don't have you love them all even even the ones that have warts right you you consider you need to have the whole collection like you you won't say i don't like this one therefore i don't want it and and I've never heard you say, this is my Bond. Like, a lot of people will say, you know, like, Sean Connery's my Bond because they're old. Um, and, you know, someone will say, Roger Moore's my Bond. And, and for me as well, like, I'm not like any one of them is my Bond. If I had to pick one, I'd say either Timothy Dalton or Daniel Craig. But, like, I don't... I, I will also, like, I watch all of the Bond movies with an equal love, like, as in just for the idea of Bond, even though some of them are, are shit. Like I will, right. like I will watch Man with the Golden Gun, and I will be like, "This is still really cool." <laughs> so that's the thing. I wouldn't say that I love each and every one of them. I definitely have my issues, and and also like you know, you listen to those uh, to those podcasts. You can listen to Bond fans talking about Bond movies, and they can uh, dissect each and every frame and each and every action, yeah. and sound like they are um, ranting Mark Kermode style. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and professing their undying hatred for, for this movie. And at the end of the day, they, they still love it because yeah, it's Bond. Exactly. No, still... I, that's what I'm saying. My relationship is, right. is that I will, I will sit down with you and I will watch Octopussy and I will be furious with everything that's happening in that movie. Right. right. And, and, or, or a view to a kill. There's some really annoying stuff in there as well. Right. Absolutely. Um, and, and I will, I will sit and do that. And then I will still say I had a good time watching that movie with right. you. Right. So I will say that I have uh, look. I have issues with uh, issues. with a lot of them. Issues, um, you know. You only live twice is almost universally adored, and uh, and to me, that's where all of the uh, all of the sort of seventies jokiness uh, began. You know, it's sort of like offshot off there. Um, and uh, you know, and diamonds are forever is an issue with me, even though Absolutely. I used to watch it over and over again as a kid, and and I know it backwards and I know it off by heart. Um, you know, man with the golden gun. Uh, we got issues with uh, with Octopus, even though I've uh, kind of like cooled down on it over the years, because uh, you know I, John Glenn brought in a certain grittiness to to Roger Moore that wasn't there before. 
Um, never noticed and I, and I mean grittiness beyond you know what people normally talking talk about in terms of you know the man with the golden gun the way that he treats Andrea Anders and uh, and uh, Mary Goodnight um, you know it, I'm talking about yeah. like uh, like a, a, a little bit more of a seriousness like uh, kicking for um, Ferrara's killer over the cliff in uh, For Your Eyes Only right um, you know and uh, and the the way that he uh, you know, the way that he handles himself in uh, Octopussy and A View to a Kill, you know, for normally in the first uh, the first act, he's still, you know, being kind of slimy and creepy. Right. Um, but, you know, as the stakes get higher, he gets a little bit more serious, and I and I like him better when he's doing that. Yeah. Uh, because the jokes are not particularly funny. I, I just feel like the jokes are completely out of place for me. In all the movies that they're in, yeah, and I know I mean, that that depends. I will watch that. I, I just I cringe. I always cringe. Anyway, but, um, oh, and die another day. Obviously, it's, <laughs> it's a big issue for me. Oh, that's a um, big one for me as well. Right, but, right. But um, there are some moments in there, um, like uh, using the ejector seat to flip the car over on the in the ice yeah, chase. Yeah, there's there's stuff like that. Also, like in in the that that moment where he grabs the. Um, the drip. The drip, yeah. And he's like, I thought that got your attention. You know, yeah, whatever yeah. it is. Like, he's very, like, very aggressive. Then, yeah. So it's, it's, and yeah. also the opening sequence is pretty good. Also, pretty cool. I mean, albeit with a little bit of green screen there that, yeah. uh, well, that kind of looks out of place, but, you know. There's a lot of that in that movie. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> we won't go into it. I we wanted to ask you, would it be safe to say, before talking about the gun barrel, that your expectations for No Time to Die were very high? Oh my god! I, I think that every Bond film, my expectations are very high. Um, but hold on, one sec. Go, going back to what you said about my Bond. Oh, sorry, you didn't so, even answer that. Yeah, yeah, I didn't answer that. So um, I lost interest. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you lost interest, then we're no, no, for no, our no, audience. no. I just got distracted and giddy by the idea of talking about why I don't like No Time to Die. Right, we'll, we'll get there in a second. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, it's kind of like Doctor Who. You're, um, it's and no, actually, it's not like Doctor Who because for me, it was um, it was always a mishmash of uh, Roger Moore and. And Sean Connery and Timothy Dalton. I didn't see On a Majesty's Secret Service until a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, uh, the the thing with Doctor Who was it was whoever was on TV at the time that was your Doctor. Yeah. So for me, I think it was uh, it was Colin Baker and then Sylvester McCoy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I saw John Pertwee on reruns or whatever, but I wouldn't say John Pertwee was my Doctor. Um, you know, like, uh, and obviously my opinions have changed, but you, you still remember who you first saw. Right. And with James Bond, it's a, it's a, it's a different situation because, um, you know, there were, you know, 30 years at least of, uh, of history before, before I came into it. And, you know, um, uh, you know, there's, uh, there, there were, everybody was always, you know, constantly on TV, like all of the different actors, you know, on, on bank holidays. So, uh, so, you know, I'd see a mishmash. So I don't know. I appreciate all of them. And I think that, uh, the iconography and the formula and the music and the, and the style exactly. and everything and his, yeah. his, uh, chutzpah as well, you know, um, which is, uh, which is a personality trait that carries over to all of them and the way that he does these, uh, ridiculous things during action scenes and the way that he, not just the way that he treats women, but the confidence and the cool, yeah. You know, there's like uh, there's a, there's a through line there, which uh, you know we'll we'll get into now about No Time to Die. There's uh, there's definitely a departure from that. Yeah. Okay, so let's uh, let's move on. No Time to Die. My expectations were high. Uh, Safe to say. Yeah, and that rhymes. So um, the gun barrel. So Hans Zimmer released the the 
that track mm-hmm. um, a while ago. So I knew it was going to be a, uh, a copy of um, Thomas Newman's Gun Barrel for uh, Spectre. Mm-hmm. With the music going on over the logos and, and all that kind of stuff. And the actual Gun Barrel music being an aping of, uh, you know, Tomorrow Never Dies. Which, uh, which then carried through to, you know, The World Is Not Enough. And then after that, for some reason, people, uh, uh, composers tended to, uh, tended to go that way. Um, so there was that. And then, you know, Daniel Craig's walk and everything, whatever. But the thing that buggered me the most was the lack of blood. Blood. Which, I, you know, people are going to say... Bang! Well, blood dribbles down. Exactly. It's, it has Alan to be Partridge there. It has, has to said be that there. that has to be there. So, you know, it has to be it, there. It seemed to me... Um, like, there are, there are what-the-fuck moments or um, moments that turn something on its head where, and we'll talk a little bit about that later with like how we think the story should have gone in our opinions, which we've talked about like over the last couple days, apropos the villain. But right. like, um, I, I, I kind of feel like there's a lot of stuff in this movie that changes things unnecessarily just to look different. And yeah. The fact that there's no blood, the fact that Bond kind of, unfocuses out and disappears. Right. So I think defocuses the, the thing is that nobody's talking about it yet. None of the, the cast or the crew or whatever, they've done their publicity tours and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. um, the movie hasn't been released yet in North America. It's uh, coming out on the 8th of October. Um, I think we need to wait a little bit of time to like, uh, to get more candid spoilery interviews with people like Kerry Fukunaga, Fukunaga, sorry. Um, <laughs> the director. The director and, uh, you know, Barbara Broccoli, Michael Wilson and... Uh, the Daniel producers Craig. and the Bond actor. <laughs> right, indeed. You don't have to do that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, just, so, just a second. Just very gingerly gonna... <laughs> <laughs> if one wants soda and they don't want soda on themselves, they must hold it at least at arm's length. Arm's length. Words. Anyway, right, go on. another one of those tomorrow. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so I feel like um, uh, people have written that uh, that you know him fading away is uh, kind of a, a signpost to the end. <sighs> but um, I think that the iconography is the iconography, and also somebody on uh, YouTube fixed it. <laughs> And it and, looked better. And it looked amazing. Like, there was really no no problem with, like, fading from the red to the white. And actually, the red and the white really works well. I mean, look at uh, look at the book cover of Her Majesty's Secret Service where you've got, like, drops of blood in the snow. It's, uh, it's a great image. And yeah. I, I think it would have... Uh, I think it would have worked much better. Um, you know, the I like the fact that it irised out into the scene. Yeah, that was missing for me in the... In the previous, in the previous ones, yeah. Um, but look, I, look, I'm not a stickler. Okay, I think that, um, and, and this has happened quite a lot in the in the past five or even six movies or seven movies, even that um, that the uh, the creators have tried to make things feel different, but the same. Um, but there's a line there. Well, well, hang on a minute because they did change it for Casino Royale. They changed and it. For I Casino thought it Royale. was so epic how yeah. they did it. Because, you know, he picks up the gun, the guy gets up, and then he turns around in, in, in the Bond fashion of turning around right. to shoot someone. And then it goes into the, the gun barrel, and the blood dribbles down. Right. And it goes into that Chris Cornell, you know, amazing... Every time that flares up, even when I just put the song on my phone, right. I get 
chills, right? Because the iconography, uh, the red is part of it. It's it, exactly there is a there are blueprints yeah. for what make it work, and when you leave one of those out, it loses the impact of the excitement of seeing that thing. And I right. I think that it's. They're not stupid. It's not that they don't know that people want a gun barrel that looks like a gun barrel. At the beginning of the movie. At the beginning of the movie, right? Um, But, like, again, it says nothing about... Um, if you have the gun barrel at the beginning of the movie and it's classic, it doesn't say anything about oh, so now now it's one of the old Bond movies. No, that is just part of the iconography of a Bond right. movie. Right, I mean, there are two examples really of when they uh, when they changed the gun barrel for the better, which was the Brosnan era. Yeah. Uh, where suddenly everything became reflective but yeah. it was still the same Exactly. The same look. Um, and, uh, and Casino Royale is a huge departure, but they managed to do that within the blueprint mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, appease the fans. It's a lot of people's favorite gun barrel with Craig Ear. It's my favorite stance of his, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, uh, you know, and the uh, second one's very aggressive. The, well, Quantum. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I would say that's my second favorite. Like it's like, it's a really good one. Blood dribbles down too quickly Blood and then it zooms out. Yeah. But I think, uh, I think it's a good one. Um, I d- despise the Skyfall one. Yeah. Because he's bobbing, bobbing his head he's up bobbing and down. He's like walking like a, slowly and the, it doesn't look good and he yeah. freezes and blah, 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 blah. Um, and the Spectre one is uh, is okay. To me, like I start watching Spectre, even though it's one of the weaker ones, mm-hmm. I start watching Spectre and I think, okay, here we go. Right, because That's what the I gun want. barrel is the gun barrel. Right. And it doesn't like iris out into the scene or whatever, but the um, but the uh, the main attributes of that iconography yeah. are there. Uh, and I know that a lot of people are going to be like, oh, this podcast is going to be all nitpicking. Oh, look at you. Yes, it will be. And um, please yes. get over it. However, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, while, I, while I will say it's a 10 second sequence and a lot of people say it's not a big deal, it does put you in the mood for a Bond movie. Right. Um, and, uh, and that one kind of, uh, kind of buggered it for I me. I think something, something important to talk about, which is also why I wanted to bring up the context at the beginning, is that there are so many repeat viewings for me and Johnny for all of the Bond movies, that it's it's very, very... Uh, there are certain things that, to us, feel Bond-like. And, yeah. and I think for everybody. But, like, um, we will be nitpicking. Um, at the end of the day, Johnny's going to own No Time to Die. And at, one, at some point it's, it's in his ordered. life, he's going to accept it as... You know, canon and and, and there are going to be things about it that he likes and things that he doesn't like. And same for me. Um, But like, and and also I think the reason that we're nitpicking so much is because this is fresh. And because... We love uh, it. You know, it's fun to talk about. It's fun to dissect these things. So, you know, if nitpicking isn't your thing, that's 100% fine. Just enjoy our dulcet tones and fall asleep. Um, But... (laughs) Kate. Anyway, so um, moving on to the pre-titles. Right. Um, I really liked it. Right, so here's the thing. I, I'm, <laughs> I, I just want to like uh, disclaim. Um, the ending of the movie colored my view of the rest of it. Yeah. Because at some point I stopped enjoying myself. Because you knew what was going to happen. I knew what was going to happen and also because of, uh, because of certain things that didn't make sense and certain things that were like ridiculous and all that kind of stuff. Uh, ridiculous in the Bond universe. In any other movie, they probably would have been fine. Yeah. Um, but I'm fairly certain that I enjoyed most of the movie. Right. And that's part of the reason why it's so bloody annoying. <laughs> Even though it's like, you know, peppered with all these uh, various different uh, issues that I have with it. But, you know, um, so the pre-title sequence is, uh, you know, I was 
doing that thing uh, that I do when we when we watch a, a movie in the cinema that uh, you know that kind of harks back to things and you know music cues and stuff yeah. like that that I sort of look over at you and I kind of elbow you in the ribs mm-hmm. and I get excited and I'm jumping up and down. Um, and uh, I do that too. Yeah, and the uh, the the pre-title sequence had tons of that kind of stuff while at the same time dealing with that. Um, sort of bogged down history of uh, yeah. Spectre and uh, you know and the and Vesper and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. I think um, what uh, what people um, wanted from Batman after the origin stories, like I'm, I would say that 1989's Batman is an origin story uh, to an extent sure, yeah. that deals with his parents' death. Yeah, um, and then you've got uh, Batman Begins deals with his parents' death, and at the, once the second or third movie comes along, um, the filmmakers. I remember the filmmakers like certain, you know, like uh, Tim Burton and Joel Schumacher, and uh, you know, and, and Christopher Nolan saying things like, "You know what? He's done enough brooding over his parents. Let's move on yeah. from that. Let's have him be Batman for a little bit, and like let's have him come up on, against new obstacles and whatever. We have that in the background. We know that his entire character is colored by that experience." Yeah, it is his main motivator. Um, and, and I feel the same way about Vespa. They wrapped it up in Quantum of Solace, and there was a nice little uh, little callback in uh, Inspector. Um, but did they did they really need for for like everything to to constantly keep coming back to that? Ah, so hang on. Before you jump ahead, yeah. Oh, you want to start with the with the Saturn the, sequence, the break in. Yeah. It is the first time that I I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong because yeah. your memory is a lot better than mine when it comes to Bond. But I don't remember the last time I watched a pre-title sequence for a Bond movie, and it felt like a horror movie. Absolutely, and a lot of people have been talking about that as well. Um, also, uh, Kerry Fukunaga, Fukunaga. <laughs> yeah. why bastard? The director. <laughs> <laughs> um, like he he talked about it in a couple of interviews. Um, that you know. Yeah, it's uh, there was intentional, and I think it um, it works really well. I like it. Um, I like it when when people genre bend. But it's also really interesting because when I was watching Spectre last week, um, in, in between doing like a million other things, so my focus was a little bit split. Um, the uh, there's a moment where she says a man uh, broke into our house right. when I was a kid, and my dad left a gun under the sink, whatever. And then later on in the movie, um, you know, Blofeld says, um, "I visited your house." I when visited you your child. house when you were a child, and she says, "I don't remember that." Okay, that came out a lot more Janusz uh, and... from Ghostbusters too than uh, than Christoph. Doctor Rinkman, I came to visit your house when you are a child. <laughs> Command me, Lord. So, so you know, it it seemed to me at the time when I watched Spectre before seeing No Time to Die, like. So but that was she, the, the, No, no, yeah, and he says, "I came to visit your father when you were a child," and she goes, "I don't remember that." And I'm like, "But you just said on the train that a man came to your house and and, and whatever." So it didn't sit with me, and I was like, "That's weird." And then yeah. when they revealed that, that I'm, and I don't know if they planned it like this. You can't know from movie to movie if they planned no, they that. No, they didn't. But that kind of does now track because he he wasn't talking about that. He could have just come to their house. Um, you know, for, for a, a meeting or something, right? Yeah. Um, Imagine Blofeld sitting down having a coffee him, and a, yeah, having a know, coffee and a Tim Tam. But like, uh, they like when he says that, and she says, "I don't remember that." I'm like, "Well, I mean, she says that she shot the man, so 
Oh, here we yeah. go. I can I can expand the codename theory. Blofeld is actually uh, um, an immortal uh, Colonel Hans For Lander, fuck's sake. and he's talking about the opening of Inglorious <laughs> Bastards, where and and uh, um, Madeline Swan is one of the daughters uh, in the farm on the farm. So uh, yeah, there you go. I've just made it. My lord. <laughs> All right. So so moving on to Bond in uh, Rome. Um, Wait, where is it? Yeah, it's in Rome. Yeah, I think Matera. So, Matera? so moving on to there, um, he and Madeline Swan are, are happily, uh, you know, necking and and whatnot. Je t'aime. Je t'aime indeed. Yeah. Um, and sh- oh, I, something I want to mention here though um, is first of all, there's a nice match cut there what? to her being under the uh, under cut. the under the ice under the, and then under being the water under the and water. then like uh, her, her head coming up in uh, yeah. you know like swimming and whatever. Um, and it's a nice introduction to him as well because he's like you know mm. he sort of walks up and he's kind of relaxed and you normally see Bond in the middle of a mission at the beginning yeah, of the yeah. movie so it's like you know at that point I wasn't worried you know I was I was alright with it you know um, we got some beeping outside beeping. how dare you beep people do not beep wait patiently and that person will move yeah and then <laughs> they're driving in the Aston Martin uh, and you hear Hans Zimmer's callback to uh, Honor Manchester's Secret Service, mm-hmm. which is the instrumental version of uh, We Have All the Time in the World, Yeah, which I heard before because uh, they released it like a couple of days. Oh, that was the, the track that you that heard That was the before? track, and I told you, I right. said to you, you know, and I, and I cried when I heard it as well, by the way. I'm a, I'm a bit of a sap um, because it kind of segued nicely from Hans Zimmer's score into that and I wasn't expecting it. Oh, I see. And it was so beautiful and so well orchestrated and, and whatever that, uh, that I was like, you know what? I, I wanted you to experience that, you know, in the, in the cinema. So I, uh, I, I liked that at the start, but now I'm kind I'll of... stop shouting. Now I'm kind of, no, that's me. I'm, I'm adjusting myself. Um, I like that at the start, but now I'm kind of wondering if maybe, all, because there were so many other callbacks to Honor Manager's Secret Service later on that they were a little bit laboured or belaboured. I, do you know something? In the trailer, in the trailer for Spectre, yeah. They have the On Her Majesty's Secret Service theme. Yeah, but that's only because you know, we thought there was going to be a skiing sequence in Spectre. I, and then I don't was. know. I just wish that they would have used it more. Because it's such a great... The, the remaking of the, that music is so... It's, it's iconic. Whatever. It's cool. Um, yeah. It's so, not necessary. So, no, but at the time when I was, when I was watching it, you know, I, you, know and the, the, you see them coming, coming over, like, you know, overhead shot coming the, the, in the mountains or in the city or wherever it is. Um, my, my memory's already hazy. I'm going back to see it again, hopefully tomorrow. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you see them in the Aston Martin and he says, we have all the time in the world. Yeah. That came out George Lazenby because there's no other way for it to come out. But, but, um, but yeah, that, that makes you go, oh, hang on. Yeah. Right. Um, and then je t'aime, you know, right. and, the, and then there's this nice why little... Do you th- why do you think that was what? that she said it to him in French? Because oh. she's French. Okay. Fair even enough. Though, even though they speak to each other in English. But, okay. Yeah. No, just I thought maybe you had like a an idea about it, I, like the, the no you know idea. maybe it's easier for him to say it if he's not saying it you know in his native language. No, it's a but hard like thing he's, to he's, say. he's repeating it. I think. No, because... I'm saying he says it back to her. Right. But but I'm wondering if maybe it's because he just doesn't say it in English because maybe he's it's hard it's a hard thing for him to say but it's easier for him to say it in another language. That's what but I was thinking when I watched it. It's possible, but then later on in the movie. Oh, know, he does say yeah. it to her in English. Uh, yeah, but that's when you know when he's about to to pop his clogs. So. Oh yeah, Bond dies at the end of this Spoiler. movie. Spoiler. <laughs> so okay, so um, it, I need to ask you about the Vespa connection. Well, because... well, I, the, the, one sec, because the 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 scene that follows is them in bed. It's the only scene really where you see them interacting as a couple. 
Right. Aside from the scene later on in the uh, in the Norway house. Yeah. Um, you uh, you don't get that so much. Like there's uh, you know there's a scene on the train um, in uh, in Casino Royale with Vesper, and there's like some yeah. sparring and flirting and all that. You know, Stephanie Broadchest. You know, and uh, and they they've got like these uh, these intense scenes together when you know she won't let him buy back in. Yeah. Um. You You're know, a and bloody then, idiot. Right. And then the scene in the uh, in the in the shower. You yeah. know, which is very nice and tender, and you don't see that in a Bond movie. And they've much. got, and it's a shower scene with their clothes on, which is something right. that's very unusual for Bond getting into the shower with a woman. Like I know that right. that sounds like I'm being flippant, but that is actually something that is very. It, it sticks right. out. That was, it that was actually Craig's me. idea. Yeah, he he he. Yeah, what what was the story that he told in in the documentary? I don't remember. No, I don't, so. don't want to. I don't, don't want so. I, I don't want to talk bullshit. Yeah, no, but I think that uh, the the idea of him getting I, I can't remember what it was before, but the idea of him getting into the shower with his clothes on was it was his know, idea. Yeah, um, um, which is very which is a very strong image, I think, and uh, and and very much sort of solidifies uh, Vesper as the you know the one. Yeah, um, which I felt the same way with uh, with Tracy as well, because uh, not only was Diana Rigg a fantastic actress mm-hmm. and lifted George Lazenby from his inexperience, um, but uh, but they they created all these scenes of them courting each other and yeah. you know stroking cats in gardens and stuff, um, and uh, and there were scenes of them like flirting and whatnot and and uh, and with uh, with Madeline Swan there's really none of that they are a product of an intense situation yeah and a product of a uh, a very dysfunctional connection as well yeah. um and so uh you know it, I, I don't buy their relationship I, at all i, I don't really buy don't. their relationship either but also because you know bond and vesper are you know he was um 38 when he did that yeah and she was uh she was like maybe in her early to mid 30s or something like that and and they 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 have a um they have a look and a feeling that that kind of kind of you know you can you can believe that these two would be together. Yeah. And Whereas they... Madeline Swan is uh, she's thirty six and he's fifty two. I want to say fifty three. Yeah. Fifty three. Um, and uh, yeah, so I I feel like um, and you can see that he's getting old. Like I mean, aside from the fact that he's way more athletic than Roger Moore ever was. Yeah. And he and he uh, you believe him as a, as a killer. Whereas, you know, Roger Moore in A View to a Kill was just like, uh, past the Zimmer frame, Grandpa, you know. Right. Um, and he even said that himself. He was like, I was only 100 years too old to play Bond by the time I last Yeah, movie. it's weird um, that he's necking with, with Tracy in right. A View to a Kill, for sure. Yeah, oh, you mean like uh, Stacy? Stacy? Oh, who yeah. gives a fuck, Johnny, honestly? <laughs> no, but his last words <laughs> as Bond were, ha ooh. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and, and the rest can be left to imagination. I'm also not sure when Q became a pervert, but... Uh, but blah, 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 blah. So, right. so, I don't, so I don't buy, buy the relationship, relationship you yeah. don't either. No. And, and, and so I, I also find it very... Um... Like, why is, why is um, uh, Madeline Swan the one to make him kill himself? Because, she's, is, because there's a daughter? Well, no. I think that the, it's more about the fact that she's the mother of his child. I think that that, adds, that does make the stakes higher. That's even worse, because if they uh, if none of that happened, and they just ended up, like, you know, coming back together after five years, they got a, they got a kid. Imagine that the Norway uh, house sequence where, where he sleeps over is a, uh, you know, is a bog-standard drama. Right. Um, you know, at some point, they would probably end up filing for divorce and battling for custody over their kid because I don't believe that they have a, a strong relationship. 
I find I find their relationship um, to be the kind of surface level that you find in a lot of movies where right. there's a token female, um, right? You know, which is love interest, which is what pisses me off so much about this uh, this thing because it all pivots on that relationship. Like, th- yeah. let's, let's let's not beat around the bush. The uh, the the whole Safin thing and the you know the nanobots and all that kind of stuff is is like secondary to his central relationship with Madeline Swan. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I feel like if that doesn't work, then the ending of the movie doesn't work, then, uh, you know, the rest of it doesn't work. I I can't quite put my finger on... Um, and also... It, it's, it's, oh, that's it's, what I want to say. I think, I think it's, it, it boils down to Spectre. Right, it does because... boil down to Spectre because Sam Mendes had, you know, was throwing up his arms at the, you know, at some point and going, I don't know what I want to do here. Right. I, it, look, again, like if they were going to do interconnected movies, and it, this has been said by other people, but we think the same thing. If it was going to be interconnected movies, uh, they, should they should have, have planned, planned it from, from the, the beginning. Get-go. Right. And uh, um, another suitor for the princess. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, like the <laughs> the whole. <laughs> The whole um, uh, Rise of Skywalker thing comes uh, comes back to rear its ugly head. I can buy uh, the the lack of continuity in the X Men universe mm-hmm. because you know they kind of like start new stories. They don't really carry over so many plot threads from movie to movie, which is also why I can buy the the lack of continuity in the Bond series from uh, you know from. Sean Connery to, to Pierce Brosnan. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I feel like, um, I feel like the, the latest Star Wars trilogy and, you know, the five Craig movies have that same uh, issue, which is that they didn't plan it out. Or also Zack Snyder's, uh, you know, uh, DC universe. It's just been very, very, very messy because right. the first two movies, Casino Royale and Quantum, were... Quantum of Solace was a direct follow-up and connected to the first one, and it was right. him reacting to what happened in in that movie. Right, and then Skyfall with Skyfall, was more or less a new it adventure. It was a new adventure where yeah. he had moved on from it. Silver is uh, connected to M, right? Yeah. Which is which is the only thing that we. And then that was retconned in Spectre to right. have Silver be part of in Spectre. fact part of Spectre. And so it it really felt like none of this was planned, and and also there's other problems with Skyfall and Spectre in that they yeah. then started introducing the well that's my the biggest problem with it is and... like you know Franz Oberhauser, MD, uh, New York yeah. Times bestselling author of all Bond's pain, uh... <laughs> and and it, it's just very it's like they they had these two that are connected, then this one that isn't connected, and then they very desperately tried to connect everything up again, right. and then this movie tries to show look look it really is connected, but it doesn't ever really take any strides to make that happen. They could have done some very clever retconning right. if they would have gone with our approach to... I don't want to talk about that yet, but like right. what we think would have been at the end. But, Moving, that's the thing but let's is, move on, because we are still talking about the pre-title sequence. Right. We jumped off from No, but I just want to say that Skyfall um, had the ability somehow to do something new and fresh and exciting without breaking out of that standalone story formula so yeah. much. So, you know, a lot of people talking about this is the only thing they could have done. Um, it's really not. There's so many, so many ways that they could have 
taken this. Okay, so... So, so is, the, is the Vespa connection necessary? Uh, you've already answered that question, I feel. I thought it was a fantastic moment that set off a fantastic chase sequence. Right. Where he goes up to her grave, and there's, like, the tradition... Of, what was it? It was that they were burning their sins or something? Or they were burning, burning their, their secrets. Their secrets. Yeah. And he writes on a piece of paper, which I didn't expect him to write... Because it's an interesting look into how he right. views that whole story. Because up until now, he's been blaming Vespa for, you know, what she did. And he can't forgive her. And, right. you know, all of that. And then, you know, he's written, forgive me. Right. On the piece of paper. Which is like, it's, I should have done more. Right? Like, you know, I I should have known something was wrong. Like, that's what it says to me. I should have right. known something was up. I could have protected you. Things could have been different. If I would have made you feel like you could talk to me about it. You know, it's a lot of different things going on there. I felt that that was very deep. And then suddenly... I think that goes into his inexperience in Casino Royale as well. As yeah. yeah. And the the head the headstone explodes. Right. And chucks him backwards. And there is our first action moment. But also our first disappointment in the movie is the look on his face. After he's been thrown. And there's a lot of that And there's just the a movie. lot of this. And it's a big complaint for both me and Johnny. We came out of the movie and we were like, why does he seem so inept? Like, yeah. I know that he's just been thrown off by uh, an explosion. Yeah. And he can look hurt. Yeah. And he can look angry. Yeah. But he's got this kind of old man, doddering old fool kind of look on his face. Like, oh, what's going on here? Right. Which I is just very... took a spill down the stairs. Right. It's very. And he does it as well when he in the car chase. Like there's a sequence in the trailer, which was so cool, where he very sternly is looking at the oncoming car. Yeah. And he makes a decision and leaps off the side of the bridge, grabs the, the cable the rope, and yeah. goes down with it. And then the next bit of that is he whacks into a wall, which in any of the previous movies, he'd angrily shake it off and go like that. And he whacks into the wall and lands on the floor. And he's got this, you know, like, you know, oh my goodness, I just hit a wall look (laughs) on his face. And, and it's, uh, it's just a disservice to his characterization of the character. Like I know that he's older, but he needs to have some cool. He needs to have some anger. Yeah, there's a little bit more of a uh, of an emphasis on on comedy, I think. Yeah, and and reaction, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And Bond isn't so much about reaction; he's more about action. But his reactions are um, so are me- usually fueled by cold, right. stern, exactly anger. Um, you know, calculation, you know, it's like, it's, there's a, that, that scene on the bridge where he's making the decision to jump off yeah. is his bond. Like right. that view of his face where his eyes are very cold, yeah. the blue of his eyes is really sticking out in the lighting. Um, the, the, you know, the, the way that his face is very set determination stony yeah Yeah. and so so then to offset that with that doddering look when he lands is uh it feels like a disservice to me the issue that i had was the um was the distinct change in direction in terms of his characterization yeah um because what we've the four movies four movies it's not it's not like there's been a a development of that there are four movies where he is a certain way way, um that's also in keeping with bond uh you know as uh, you know the more serious side of Bond, uh, the more the more Fleming side of Bond, which everybody says all the time and kind of beats it over the head. But it's true though. Like he's uh, yeah, in the he's books, more of a fallible human being. Yeah, like if you haven't read the books, feels his characterization in Casino Royale and even License to Kill and parts of The Living Daylights and yeah. also parts of Goldeneye as well yeah. are very much um, 
adaptations of the book. This is actually something that I was Closer saying. To the book. I, not, I think not, not, no, not like a you know carbon. Copy. No, I wasn't saying that. But but that's but like there's a. I'm trying to remember. I don't remember if I was saying this to Shosh or to uh, my friend who came over last night. Shosh being your wife. Yes, my wife. If you've listened to the first episode, you'd know that. Um, <laughs> but the the um, that I was saying that that there's a difference between. Um, copying the books and and adapting and, and keeping it the same and and to understanding what makes that character compelling and essence. his core his essence yeah. and translating that to the new thing that you want to do which is what they did with the plot of casino royale exactly. as well exactly sort of transposing it to it. the to the current Exactly. Uh, to, to the present day and, you know, the current uh, situation, politically. Because a lot of the things that happen in the book are, are very much in that time. Right. And, you know, the way that they're, like, describing, like, uh, smoke-dense um, casinos yeah. and, and, you know, like, sitting in a cafe and, and a bomb goes off in a car um, and his reaction to that is not as exciting as, you know rolling between two trucks trying to stop a plane being blown up, right? right? But but they manage to keep the essence of how Bond reacts and speaks and behaves and conducts himself right. in the books. And I think that, you know, you can you can say what you like about um, you know, how he behaves in the book is very misogynistic and he, you know, that's not the message that should be sent yeah. out nowadays, and I agree with that. Um, but there are there are certain things that I feel that Daniel Craig did that showed his understanding of the essence of Bond in the books that he completely disregarded in No Time to Die. Right. Um, Almost completely. There are still some really cool moments. Well, we're, we're coming up to one. Yeah. Um, the uh, so so they speed away in the uh, in the Aston Martin, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and he's yelling at her, and he's pissed off with her, and he's yeah. like, "Why? How could you betray me?" Etc. 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 It turns out, obviously, that uh, that she didn't betray him, um, but it that was is, made to look that way. Yeah, that was uh, that was uh, Blofeld's endgame. He wanted to drive a wedge between them and separate them and make Bond as miserable as possible, but which is going feel, back to the whole... I feel that if Bond was Bond, he yeah. would have seen that. He would have seen not necessarily it. Like, because because of, because it's Vespa. Yeah, I guess it's a trigger for him. He yeah. has trust issues. Okay, no, no, I buy it. I do buy that. Right. I do buy it. I'm just no, saying. No, so like, I mean, we, we've, you know, bashed it over the head that we can't stand all the retconning and the callbacks yeah, yeah, yeah. to Vesper and all that kind of stuff. But like, very effective her, right at the beginning of yeah, the movie. Yeah, I, th- I think that her particular use there, like the callback to her inspector was pointless. The callback Absolutely to her inspector pointless. was a was a Easter egg, I think. I don't even think it was that. I think it was so, it was so like, he's still thinking about her that seeing a tape, right. you know, that. But there was no intention <laughs> Makes, uh, uh, yeah. going back to the to the to the idea of not planning out your uh, your trilogy or whatever it is that there was no intention, Inspector, to um, you know to do what they did at the beginning of No Time to Die, probably because the script was only written three months before they shot or whatever sure. it was. Um, you know, with Danny Boyle exiting and then uh, Purvis and Wade coming in and then Phoebe Waller-Bridge doing a polish and Kerry Fukunaga doing a polish and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, it is a nice moment. Uh, he's standing in front of the grave. You've got the, you know, Hans Zimmer calls back David Arnold's Vespa theme, which I, yeah, which, which I loved. Brilliant. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so let's move on. We've got the, the, uh, the moment in the car where, um, you've got Primo, the, uh, the cycloptic, uh, villain. <laughs> yeah. 
My cycloptic colleague here. Um, so Primo is the cycloptic villain, and he's shooting at the uh, bulletproof window. And you're a hundred percent sure that you know what's going to happen there. Yeah, it's a, that I believe is also like very much a callback to Honor Majesty's Secret Service, yeah. and he is callously sitting there, you know, with that expression on his face of like, "I'm going to let, gonna you, let die you die yeah. because you betrayed me." Exactly, and, and she's, she's pleading like with screaming him, screaming at him. So good it was really effective yeah it was really really effective and up until this point apart from those like little looks that he gave where i felt like he was a bit doddering right i was like this is set to be a bond movie like it felt like because he's like sitting in the car he's ignoring her he's just looking straight on stony faced like you know if they break through the windows and they kill both of us it serves you right like that's what that's what what he's like you know right and then she kind of breaks through to him and he goes, okay. okay. Right. And, and, and then the machine guns coming out of the car. Well, no. So this is the, this is the issue that I have is that, okay. I say, this is the issue of this. If it's the only one, this is the only <laughs> issue. This is all I, this is my only problem with it. Um, so <laughs> the, uh, the constant like Easter egging and uh, calling back to previous Bond movies, etc., etc. Um, it's getting old. It was getting, getting it was getting old when they did it in Die Sky Another Day. Well. No, back all the way back to Die yeah. Another Day. You know why is he smelling Rosa Klebs' shoe? Fuck off! Oh my god. Um, you know, um, I think that uh, the jetpack. You know, Casino Royale did it um, a little bit more subtly, I guess, because also they wanted to give him certain pieces of iconography so that you don't feel like you're not watching a Bond movie. Honestly, there's very very few moments of Bond theme throughout that movie. But it but still feels there. so Bond. It feels more Bond to me than Skyfall, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and the, the thing with the Aston Martin and all that kind of stuff, they brought back the Aston Martin, but they show his taste in cars. So it's not like they're, you know, Easter egging, you know, you into oblivion. Whereas, and, the, you know, the tuxedo is his costume. they call back to the ejector seat, like in, 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 Skyfall. in Skyfall. In Skyfall, yeah. I'm saying the ejector seat in Skyfall and the, uh, you know, the fact that the Bond theme plays where, you know, when the lights go on, you see the Aston Martin for the first time. It's, it's you know, it, it's not necessary. It's really not necessary. You can have a Bond movie be a Bond movie without going, eh? We know that there's been, uh, you know, 20 films before Daniel Craig But this Craig is part started. of the problem. This is where it starts getting muddled because right. they are trying to say that this is a a completely new Bond and whatever. Right. And it feels like they just backpedaled. Like, they were doing so well. They did, because I'm one of the people who really likes Quantum of Solace, and I, you are as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm aware of some of the problems with it, but I still think that it is a wonderful follow-up to Casino Royale. It's a Casino spy Royale. thriller. And it's, it's his... his characterization throughout is fantastic he has wonderful character moments all the way through from looking away from the guy so that he doesn't have to look at him once he's killed him you know like the guy is bleeding Slate. out on the back yeah he's bleeding yeah. on the balcony no he's like, like looks uh, away. He's, he's nicked his femoral artery yeah. and he's holding it there and he's like looking away from him exactly um yeah. and and you know like he's uh you know all sorts of stuff like uh not explaining himself when people are accusing him of you so know, that's the thing that's what i found uh that's what i found difficult to uh to grasp in no time to die is that m says to him in uh in uh in quantum of solace do you realize that you just killed the bodyguard of uh, of guy haynes who's like a you know high up political official or whatever it is and he doesn't even try to justify it he's like he knows that he didn't do it um but he's like you know what m I'm your agent. If you don't fucking trust me, then that's your problem. I'm going to carry on doing what I'm doing because I can't be stopped. 
There's another element to that that I think actually, which is just can I, when I see that scene, yeah, and he doesn't say anything. It's like it's been en- I know it's been engineered to look a certain way, and I'm right. just not going to dignify it. I'm not going to I'm not going to play into this game that they're playing. Right. Like you know, me trying to say no, but it wasn't me. It was it's like it's exactly um, what they want, and I'm not playing into it. Right. I know what I did didn't didn't do. You're going to get a call in a minute. Would you mind telling them I've had it for Cairo? <laughs> we have a thing about the way that she says that. It's it's not actually, she doesn't actually say it like that at no. all, but it just gets worse and worse every time we, we quote it. So, yeah. And he uses the, the bullets in the the headlights and the headlights and headlights and I groaned, I think. It doesn't I, it doesn't yeah. but look, first of all, I saw that in the trailer, and second of all, it doesn't bother me as much. I know that they keep trying to you know stuff the gadgets in there and Q and Money Penny and you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they they felt that it was important to bring back those uh, those touchstones, but they can't they can't keep their own promises. That's the right. problem. Is that in Skyfall he says it's not exactly Christmas, and he says, "What were you expecting? An exploding pen? We right. don't really go in for that sort of thing anymore." And um, that's a statement. We are bringing back these characters like Q and Money Penny and M, but not the way that you remember it. And I'm like, okay. And they brought back the Aston Martin. And it was like a thing, and the the the, the ejector seat, and and I'm like, okay. But then then they don't keep that promise and an inspector and he's got like the exploding watch and, you know, he's got like, just like, stop bringing back the gadgets. I I know that everybody loves them. I know that without gadgets, it's not a Bond movie for a lot of people. But I feel that tools of a spy in a non-cartoony version of the world, because they, with Casino Royale, established a more realistic world um you don't have machine guns and headlights and smoke screens and oil slick and and it wasn't just machine guns and headlights he had like those little um spike balls that come right. you know come out of the car and <clears throat> and you know it, it was an, an oil slick he didn't have oil slick but it was he, he might as well have fucking had and i just it for me completely takes me out of it because i remember when we went to go and see casino royale we saw it twice right um and i went back to high school and people were saying how shit it was. And I got into these screaming matches. I was like arguing the point with people that this is how Bond should be characterized in a modern world, right? right? And they were like, but there's no gadgets. And I'm like, fucking good. His gadgets are his wits and his guns and his fists. And, you know, like, you know. But that's his- the thing. That's in the back Ugh. in the day, it was, uh, it was a big deal to see Bond using. First of all, things got sci-fi. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, in the seventies, and going it up was to space. yeah. Going, well, also like you know the kinds of gadgets, the lasers, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was it was a thing to see how Bond would creatively use the gadgets um, to get out of certain to get situations. out of certain situations. Um, and there was an art to that. Uh, you know, and 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 taking aside the uh, the point that you know Jason Bourne, which everybody compares them, or whatever Jason Bourne uses a pen and he uses a rolled up magazine and yeah. you know his fists and all that kind of stuff. That's not the point. The point is that they would set up these uh, these like props, and then at some point in the movie, Bond would use it creatively to get out of a situation. Well, this is the point that I was making with um, with Black Widow, right? right? is that they had a perfect opportunity to make a spy espionage thriller, which is what they did with Captain America 2, right? Winter Soldier. And they had 
they had all of these gadgets that she's using in Captain America, but it never felt like the gadgets were the thing. It didn't feel like the gadgets were, oh, look, 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 she's going to use a, a, you know, a, a thing coming out of her wrist. And it, right. it was tools that she has with very high tech, you know, whatever, um, to keep up with these superheroes. And she uses them when she needs them. Right. right. And it didn't, it doesn't feel that way anymore with the Bond movies. It feels like they are fan service. It feels like they are ushered in for the people who like the gadgets. And they're like, oh, so, I wonder what gadgets are going to be in this movie. So that's what I'm saying, is and that they're plonking it in. They're plonking it in just it to... It annoys me. <laughs> so, like, I, I would... You know you know what I would like to see? If there, if there is a need for gadgets, let's say that there is a audience need for gadgets. Okay. That without it, the Bond movie would just not be successful, nobody would go to see it, and everybody would say, fuck Bond, there's no gadgets. Um, then they need to come up with gadgets that are... First of all, nowadays, everything's a fucking gadget. Your phone yeah. is a gadget. You can do a million different things. Exactly. Um, they need to come up with these creative ideas to create those those situations where Bond, you know, creatively uses gadgets. I'm going to say the word creative a million times uh, because there is no creativity in just plonking previous gadgets that have been in previous Bond movies into the movie and saying, hey, look, it's the Aston Martin. It's got miniguns in the headlights. Can we just for a second define what you mean by creative? Because I think I think that there is a line. Right. Right. And there is a line where it cross o- crosses over to cartoony. For right. example, right, yeah. when he has the breathing apparatus in Thunderball. Yeah. Right? He knows that... He, I, I think... I don't remember because I haven't seen the movie in a long time. But this is a movie that takes place um, with a lot of water segments. So a lot of the... So the fact that he has a gadget that yeah. is um, geared towards his mission, right that sits firmly on the line of something that seems possible. Like, they have taken a technology that exists, the right. ability to breathe underwater with certain, uh, certain um, you know, apparatus, and they've made it smaller, which is what you do with technology. As time goes on, phones get smaller, right. things fit into your pocket, they become wearable. So that is, they have to take those realistic principles, and I'm not saying, because, I'm sorry that I'm going to talk about the video game, but like, um, Bloodstone. Right. Right, and I think that... Um, Calvin uh, Dyson also talks about this, mm-hmm. um, is that the phone, the smartphone is your gadget. It does everything. It scans stuff. It opens doors. It, it tags enemies It you know, shows you enemies through walls. And it's like, it's like they, they, he wanted more gadgets. And I'm saying it's fine that all these things are happening on the, on the phone. Right. right. I completely disagree with him. <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm okay with it not being sci-fi objects. It feels like it sh- a gadget should service his mission. Um, they know what his mission is and, um, and that it's going to service that. That's- well, I'll give you an example, though. Um, take Moonraker, for example. I know okay. you don't love Moonraker. I love it. No, but like, if you want to take the pinnacle of, bond, of, uh, of you know, Moore's um, you know, silly Bond. Yeah. Um, you know, the, you've got the uh, the the well, watch with the. You dots. mean his entire era? But go on. Not his entire era. I mean, for your eyes only, is bookended by crap. But um, you know, the, what's in the middle of it is a spy thriller. Yeah. Um. So uh. So yeah, you've got the the watch with the uh with the sort of pulse activated darts. Yeah. Um. And you know, he says like you just you activate it like this, and you know, and uh, the dart like pierces the of uh, you know the the horse in, in M's painting he says oh thank you 007 whatever mm-hmm. so you've got that set up and then when he's uh, he's been told by Drax to, to put his hands up 
and then you remember that he's got the uh, the darts in his watch and mm-hmm. the uh, and the dart flies out and, and gets him in the heart um and that to me is a creative you know cause and Use effect of, yeah um you know a follow through of a gadget um and the fact is that uh you know aside from uh, aside from Q saying um you know it's got a very loud alarm um, if you know what I mean. And then he throws the watch at uh, a Blofeld because he set the bomb to go off. It's kind of like, okay, so what? His, his watch has got a bomb in it. You know, like it, it, that, that to me doesn't seem, uh, you know, creative in the same way. Yeah. You know, they used to find really interesting ways to use a location. They used to find really interesting ways to use the gadgets. They used to find really interesting ways to, you know, to have Bond, uh, you know, do these like outrageous stunts. So, you know, that's got to be part of it. I mean, if they're going to introduce it, why don't they introduce it all the way? Yeah. Um, so, like, just having those uh, those little callbacks, um, you know, I feel the same way about that, uh, about the Book of the Dead in uh, Tom Cruise's The Mummy. It's just like, yeah. why? Just so that the fans can go, ooh. Ooh, that was in the other one. Yeah. Like, make your own... I always I always get annoyed with that. I always think that... Like, Nolan managed to do it for three movies yeah. in Batman, Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. You know, like, uh, it's, it didn't need to call back to anything. It was its own fucking exactly. thing. And I think that if you're going to reboot something or you're going to make your own make your own movie, um, you know, statement about, like, you know, with the Batman now, right? Yeah. I Again, I don't want to see anything that came from previous Batman movies. Right. I want to see how this Batman reacts in this version of Gotham. Anyway... <clears throat> the song in the movie, No Time to okay, Die. Okay, so 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 we transition from uh, from Bond putting Madeline on a train, um, and, and she holds her tummy. She holds her tummy. Yeah, that's a that's a you know, um, so you know she knew, uh, she and then like, you know, and then we have the uh, the Doctor No dots. Awesome, I love that. I yeah. was like, this is uh, here again. I cannot quite put my finger on what is a good callback, right? Like because it was done in a way that didn't feel like it was nudge nudge wink wink. Know what I mean? Say no more. Say no more. Say no more. Like it was very, um, you know what this is, but we're right. doing it like this here, right? And that was really cool to me. There's quite a few callbacks to to Doctor No as well. Yeah. Um. But yeah. The, so you got the you got the dots, and then there's like some porcelain stuff. I don't remember a lot of the title sequence, and um the credit sequence. Yeah, me neither. The, um, and that bothers me because I came out of both Skyfall and Spectre with very clear images Imagery, in my yeah. head, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and also Casino Royale. Casino Royale, I. Brilliant. I. It's one of those movies that I would want to go back to before I saw it and see it again for the first time. Yeah. Because um, you want to experience it for the first time with those shivers and the... Yeah, incredible. Yeah, without knowing what's going to happen, without knowing... But I still remember it. I still very vividly remember the feeling of this jittery excitement about that opening scene being in black and white yeah. and the way that he dispatches both of them. And he goes, yes, considerably. And he cocks the gun. Yeah. Or he releases the... Yeah. yeah. And I was like, this is amazing. And then when it suddenly bursts into the... Because you and I had listened to You Know My Name, Chris Cornell's um, song uh, for that movie. We'd listened to it with the um, guitar backing. Yeah, there was a... I hadn't heard the the horns version. Right. Um, and, um, And when that flared up, I just remember 
every hair on the back of my neck standing up. I was very like, I was gripped and I remember being just inspired. There are some things that when you watch a movie or you play a video game for me where I will just feel like I want to create now because this has got me going. You know, right. like it's, yeah. That's an example of completely doing something different. You know, it still feels like Bond but to me. But well, but right. Um, yeah. I, uh, I remember thinking in the cinema and every time I've watched the movie ever since, um, what, 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 that went too quickly. I want to see it again. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, 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 I love that opening sequence. I think it's amazing. Um, by contrast, we're talking about the shortest opening sequence of a Bond movie ever to the longest opening sequence yeah. of a Bond movie ever. Um, it goes on for quite a while before you hear uh, Billie Eilish's song. Um, but anyway, back to the... Uh, I like... I like the song. I like the song. I like the song. I like Zimmer's contribution to it. I think it's very Bond. Um, and, uh, you know, and also what it says, you know, they, they said that they had either gotten the script for the opening sequence or they'd seen the opening sequence and the lyrics were um, tailored specifically to the emotions and you that can the feel it there is a there is a connection to the song and, yeah. the, and what you've just seen which is uh, i i i really like billy eilish's song i right. i think it's great i think it's it's uh it felt very bond to me yeah um and it also felt in a way um as as a as a much needed um i i want i want to think of what the word is here just like it needed to sound like that for the last right. It movie. needed to be melancholy. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. And the mood of it, the tone was just right. So I think they nailed it. And and again, the title sequence, I don't remember it. I don't really have anything to say about it. I just remember um, thinking, you know, that the song sounds really good. And yeah, I found it interesting that um, as I thought about this earlier today in the shower. Um, I didn't have to tell you that I was in the shower. I just wanted yes, you to you have did. an image. Yes, you um, did. <laughs> So I found it interesting that writings on the wall becomes their love theme, Inspector. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the tra- after the train fight, and then you know, um, and then uh, No Time to Die becomes their love theme in uh, in this movie. Um, you know, when they when they meet again in uh, in Norway, yeah. Um, and you've got those uh, the wonderfully weaved into the score by Hans Zimmer. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it works. It works very, very well. I need to see the movie again in order to, to try and internalize the, uh, Danny Kleinman's title sequence. Cause I'm fairly certain that there's some good stuff in there. He is excellent at what he does. He's done, you know, all of them aside from quantum of solace since Goldeneye. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I love them. I think the the pieces of art, you know, even surpassing, uh, some of Morris Binder's work. Yeah. Um, and uh yeah so yeah so then we transition into the opening scene of the film which to me is a bit of a yeah you're nodding i i'm what nodding what was hugh dennis doing in there i'm nodding because i was so brought down i felt like i walked into sequence. walked into like um the sketch from mitchell and webb um, it, yeah, a sketch from Michelin Web. It made me think of um, of uh, Ricky Gervais's show within a show on extras when the whistle yeah. blows. That was what it made me feel like. I thought that he was going to come out and be like, you know, all that stuff. There are some people who you cannot cast in a movie uh, and and not have people feel taken out. But it's by not it. just Hugh Dennis. Hugh De- I it's think the guy, that... the Russian guy, has also not got a very convincing. The Russian guy. I wanted him funny, to shut bumbling. Up. Yes. I wanted Please him to shut up. up. It was a it was a fake Russian accent that just 
sounded like you know almost as offensive as uh, what's his name as um, as Goldie, you know, playing uh, Mister Bullion. Yeah, you know, it's just like I see you later, Mister Bond. It's like After it's what you, we it's I what see. we used to do in the playground. You know, we used to put on a fake um, Eastern European accent to be the bad guy. You know, right? Um, and uh, anyway, so that so this guy, you know is a little bit too comedic for my liking. I felt like he needed to be in a different movie. Um, and, you know, his constant changing of allegiance and, and whatever. We're talking it about, was, like, it uh, was, the scientist, Obrachev. Right? It was extremely Austin Powersy. But that was also... It's also due to the dialogue. I felt like, um, you know, Phoebe Wallerbridge was uh, flexing her flea bag muscles here. Um, Why? Because it sounded like a, it sounded like sitcom dialogue. It sounded like, uh, oh, I've accidentally put the Ebola virus in the fridge. Oh, you're oh. talking about that? Yeah, all that stuff. Um, and then I yeah. thought that Hugh Dennis was going to turn around and go, do you like the music of Show <laughs> Listen, I, I think that the, it was, a, they spent way too long there. That yeah, yeah, could definitely. have been done. That could have done in, in about three seconds. minutes. <laughs> Less th- uh, no, you got to give it time. You right, said three to... minutes. I said thirty seconds. I I just feel that it was so unnecessarily long. And it's already a long film. Belaboring yeah. the point that you know there's another player here apart from Spectre, you know, and 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 it the, should have been taken a little bit more seriously. Yeah, I feel, I feel, that I, scene specifically. It, for the for the ending of this movie and the the themes of this movie and the gravity with which we are expected to feel right. what's happening in this movie, there's a lot of flippancy right. in it, and it's like it's you like... have to have moments of levity. But you said this to me the other day, and I right. thought this was a fantastic example right. of what I mean by this. You said in the Batman movies, the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. There's some very heavy subject matter all the way through. It's very serious. But the moments of levity that are in there are pitch perfect. So this is the thing. Nolan said that he would be shit scared to make a full-on comedy. Yeah. Um, And he said the reason being is because if you pepper um, jokes throughout a serious movie, if a joke doesn't land, you just take it out. Yeah. Um, and uh, and if it does land, it's great. It uh, it provides uh, you know a little bit of levity to a as you say a, a dark subject. Um, for example, in Inception, you've got that little moment with Tom Hardy. You mustn't uh, be afraid to dream a little bigger, darling. And then he uh, you know pulls up this massive gun. Yeah. Um, you know I, I th- that that kind of thing works for me. You know like uh, you know Alfred you know saying to saying to Bruce like uh, you can't even lift a bloody log. My favorite Alfred thing, by the way, which made when you said this to me, I was thinking of was not the bloody log. Is where right. he goes, you know, I suppose I'll be arrested as your accomplice, right? It was all your idea. The delivery of that dialogue between the two of them, not just that line, but that whole back and forth, um, is like he says, I, I don't, um, you know, he says, uh, I suppose now you're gonna say I told you so, and a very emotional Alfred says, today, I don't want to. But that's and the then thing. it transitions into that, although I did bloody tell you, and it's so well delivered that Christopher Nolan should make the next Bond movie. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> no, but I think that, um, I think that uh, those kinds of things is, are what endears you to a relationship yeah. as an audience and what gives it, uh, you know, like depth. Um, I, I feel that, um, that, as I, as I said before, the relationship between Bond and Madeline Swan didn't have any of that. Whereas the relationship between Bond and Felix, which we'll get to a little bit later, yeah. 
um, you know, has that in, in droves. Yeah. Not just from previous movies, but established in this movie. So you really feel it when he croaks. Yeah. Um, you know, so, but anyway, so that, that was the point was that Nolan said that, you know, if he made a full on comedy and, uh, you know, and the jokes didn't land, that's the entire movie. And right. you'd have to, you know, you'd have to take out the whole movie. Yeah, exactly. And, and so when you move on to this whole, um, you know, the, the, this opening sequence where, where the virus, not really a virus, the nanobot virus thing. Yeah. And I love what you said the other day, Johnny, you sent me a message. You said, Oh yes, and nano nanobots are nanobollocks, and I was like, "That's fucking brilliant!" I want that written on my tombstone. Nanobots are nanobollocks. Loving wife, loving. <laughs> that basically sums up the whole plot, doesn't it? It does. That's. I was like, that is, that was my takeaway. Was nanobots are nanobollocks. If I, if I don't believe in the threat, right, I can accept nanobots in a video game. There are certain things in the Bond video games that I can yeah. accept. That I can't accept in a movie because I'm my my disbelief is suspended by by the fact that this is a video game. And right. and now listen, that's not to say I do take I do think that video games that establish themselves as being serious, like The Last of Us or something like that, I I would be, you know, very taken out of it if there was some cartoony, like, you know, subplot or whatever. Um this is the last movie in Craig's, you know, era. Yeah. It's also and the reason chosen why the stupidest fucking plot point. Yeah, it's like it's ridiculous. like it's the like the MacGuffin no of sense. the MacGuffin. Yeah, um, I think that uh, the because it's the reason for his decision to just stand there and let them bomb the shit out of him. Yeah, um, it should have been something more believable and more serious. Yeah, and it should and have been think, something that that I think he Fukunaga yeah. added that to the uh, to the plot. I don't think it was it was nanobots at the beginning. You think I it was th- a virus originally? I think it was a DNA targeted virus and that to me would have been a lot more believable. Uh, Considering yeah. the times we're living in now, I wonder if they softened it because of uh, because of COVID or not. I don't know. Maybe. I know because it was already done by the time, right? I don't know. Or but were they it in was, editing? I don't know because they did rewrites, didn't they? Or they, they did, did reshoots. They did reshoots for, um, for like, I, you could tell in the... Uh, in the scene in Norway that you have like close-ups of Bond's hand with uh, with a certain phone. Yeah. That maybe that's an insert. Maybe. You know, like like things like that because they changed, they wanted to update the technology because sure. after a year and a half, you know, the tech had kind of, uh, kind of gone out of date. Whatever. Who cares? No one cares. And I don't know why that was a priority to them and making the movie better wasn't. Or adding um, blood into the fucking gun barrel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying you were able to let it go? No. <laughs> I still um, can't let it go. I I am thinking of taking the uh, that dude's uh, you know iPhone filmed uh, you know gun barrel fix with the, with the blood that he's put over it and the traditional and just music put it in the movie and just stick it in front of the movie and just let it be. It's going to hold your phone up to the screen <laughs> so that you can't see the actual one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so before we move on from the uh, you know that that pre bit and we move into what what pushes everything forward. Um, I think that this would be a good time to stop part one. Oh my God, we barely... Right, no. But we what we've done here, and I, I think that this is really important, is that we have laid the groundwork for people understanding, A, exactly what we feel Bond is and should be and, and all that stuff. Um, and now I think that we're, we're really on a roll. So part two will be mostly, you know, just like ripping the rest of the movie to shreds. And I think that also is fitting because most of... 
the latter half of the movie is what I have problems with anyway. Right. But I need to piss like a racehorse. <laughs> okay, so let's take a pee break. Uh, for the rest of you, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What's our seat number? 